Well, we're going to continue our walk through the book of Hebrews. I love this little letter, this little sermon to this small church. We're going into chapter 2 while we continue to look back at chapter 1. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to look at the first three verses of chapter 2. What the author of Hebrews is doing, and it's still very early in his sermon in this letter, is he is moving towards very specific application of chapter 1, specifically Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. And he basically is telling the people, you really need to pay close attention to what you have heard. So let's hear from God's word. Hebrews 2, 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, we, we come to you thanking you for your word. We come thanking you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who alone illuminates your word, our hearts and minds to see, our eyes to see and our ears to hear, our minds to think, our hearts to feel rightly about what we are hearing. But Lord, it's so busy. It's busy outside and it's busy inside. The noise is deafening. We pray that you would do a work, Holy Spirit, even now, that we might learn to pay closer attention. We might lean into your word. We might rest in your word and that we might rise from this place different because of what we've seen and heard. Only you can do that work and we pray that you would for we need that work. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul started our series two weeks ago and has done a wonderful job of giving us a context for this letter. It's a small house church perhaps 20 people, maybe not more than that. A church, though, that was coming under profound persecution. And as the pressure was beginning to rise against these Christians, this is written to Christians, as the pressure was beginning to to rise up against them, they were living in the temptation daily of drifting away, of deserting their faith, of essentially saying it's not worth it. So early in the letter, before he unpacks so many things that are to come, he starts with the supremacy of Christ. He starts with revelation. Go with me back to Hebrews 1. He says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So the supremacy of Christ comes immediately. The author is talking about the revelation of God. And when we speak about the revelation of God, we're talking about two things. There is something called general revelation. General revelation is is essentially all mankind knowing as they look at creation that something bigger than me had to create this. If you want to understand general revelation, you can go to Romans chapter 1. Paul goes on to say there that men are without excuse essentially because of general revelation. 
that there, when we look up at the sky and see the stars, or we see the order of the universe in terms of the way it operates, the sun being set on its course each day, the seasons changing, that mankind is without excuse. That's because of general revelation. But then there's another kind of revelation, and that revelation we call specific or special. It's the revelation of God about himself through his word, his written word given, us, given to us through prophets, and then the word, capital W, Jesus Christ. And so the author of Hebrews, this sermon to this people begins with the idea of revelation and the supremacy of Christ, that God has made his appeal to us in the past through the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his very own son, his own son, the incarnate Jesus, who took on flesh, who came to walk upon the earth that he himself made amongst the people that he himself made. And the people that he himself made needed his savior. And so he walked a perfect life to bring into place that's second covenant, this new covenant that was going to be his life as a ransom for his children, his life perfectly lived, then being a life that would be sacrificed and killed, a life that would have Jesus on the cross as every sin of all of his people would be poured out on him. Every evil thought, every evil deed, Everything we have neglected to do, all poured out on Jesus. So great a salvation, so great a salvation that God himself would demonstrate his own love for us, us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the people heard that about Jesus. And the people said, I trust in Jesus alone for my salvation. But as the reputation of their following Christ grew, and as the persecution against the church grew, they now found themselves in a place of temptation. A place of temptation to drift away from what they had heard. And so early in this letter, the writer of Hebrews says, Chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay much closer attention. To everyone that's here today, I want to say this very clearly. You must pay closer attention. I must pay closer attention. This is not a word for some that you might be thinking of. For children, perhaps, that have gone astray. For co-workers or those that you look at in your neighborhood and you're like, I'm not really sure where they stand for the Lord. This is God's word. And all of God's word is breathed by God. And all of God's word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And all of us here have a very significant listening problem. All of us. The writer says, therefore we must pay most, most, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. 
Drifting is not really an intentional thought of, I'm going to suddenly go a different direction. Drifting is a, a slow movement, being carried away by the wind or water of air. It is to move slowly away from your purpose. It is to move essentially even without purpose, to wander from a set course. Early in the church, one of the symbols for the church was a boat. And the boat had a lot of, of really interesting dynamics to it. One, it reminded them of the mission, but it also reminded them of the, the need to be anchored, to be anchored in a place so that we wouldn't lose our bearings, we would not lose our course. Very often in a worship service, I set my eyes on that third window from the front. And on the right side, you see the ship and the stained glass. So not that one, not that one, but that one. And I fix my eyes there remembering that every time we gather, there is a temptation for us to drift. But every time we gather, there is the opportunity to remember that we are anchored in Christ. That he is the lead of his church. That he is going to continue to do what he has accomplished but I know the temptation to not listen. Kent Hughes, pastor in Wheaton, said this about Hebrews, Hebrews 2. He said, that church's experience 2,000 years ago, this little church that this letter was originally written to, that church's experience 2,000 years ago intersects our lives in this way. Drifting is the besetting sin of our day. And as the metaphor suggests, it is not so much intentional as from unconcern or neglect. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said it this way, if you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity, in other words, they're no longer following Christ, whether they were ever saved or not is, is, is the debate, I guess. We believe once saved, always saved. But there are those who think they're saved that probably never were saved. And so to that, the pastor of this small flock is saying, pay attention. C.S. Lewis says, if you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would have turned out to be reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply just drift away? And that's certainly been my experience. Most people simply drift away. If drifting is the besetting sin of, or one of the besetting sins of our generation, what's underneath the drifting? And I would say it this way. It is a failure to listen. It is a failure to listen that leads to drift. A year ago this spring, I had a I had the privilege of preaching at Covenant Theological Seminary where I went. It was such a great experience to be with students who are being trained for gospel ministry, women and men there growing in understanding of grace. And afterwards at a luncheon, a Q&A time, somebody said, what do you think is the greatest problem in the church today? And there's so many things that, that I could have said. But the one thing I said is that I don't think people are listening. They're not listening to God, and they're not listening to one another. Not listening to God means listening to his word as his spirit illuminates it. 
And it's very, very easy in the noisy world in which we live not to listen, to even show up in the places where the word is being proclaimed in a worship service or in small groups or in Sunday morning communities or BSF, lots of places. But not really allowing the word of God to press deeply into us and transform us. The world is so loud. So what causes people, us, to not listen? I want to start with the very basic. Number one, we can't hear. Bill Bill Lambert tells a story of going to preach on a Sunday afternoon to one of the the assisted living communities that we have the, the beautiful opportunity to enter into and share the good news. So many of these men and women who live there still hunger for the word of God. And Bill was there years ago to preach, and there was a gathering all around him. And as he began to preach, a gentleman at the front of the room simply said, I can't hear a word he's saying. (laughs) And he couldn't. The device that he needed to hear was not with him. And how frustrating. Some of you today can't hear the word of God. And it's not because of a physical deafness. It's because of spiritual deafness. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your ears have not been opened, your eyes have not yet seen, therefore your heart doesn't beat for God. You actually can't hear the word of God. You might hear the the audible sounds, but it remains confusing in your heart and mind. It's very possible that he's brought you to this place so that in a moment like this, your ears suddenly are opened. Your eyes suddenly see. For me, in the summer of June 23rd, it wasn't like I suddenly went, oh, I can hear. Oh, I can see. It was a deep thought that I had never heard before that something's really wrong with me. Everything on the outside looks pretty good. But something's wrong with me. So I went to the man who was my young life leader and said, I need to talk to you. There's something wrong with me. He then explained the gospel to me. And as that's happening, the Holy Spirit is at work behind the scenes. If you can't hear, if it's not making sense, it's perhaps because you have never had God redeem you, save you, call you to himself to hear that irresistible call. And today, right here, September 29th, he may be speaking through his word and spirit to you even now. If God is doing that, the call is to simply pray and surrender your life to him. I'll pray that prayer at the end of the service, but keep listening You might be a man or a woman this morning who knows you're in Christ, but you're still struggling to hear the word of God because your your ears are clogged with so much noise. There isn't a physical deafness, but there is a a current, a, a tide of busyness, of noise, 
of looking at your devices when you go to bed and as soon as you wake up. And as C.S. Lewis says, it's like a herd of wild animals rushing at you each morning and you can't hear the word of God because of all the other noise. If you can't hear at this moment in your life and yet you know you're in Christ, ask him Ask him for help. Ask him to give you whatever you need to silence the noise that's outside and the noise that's inside and to give space to God that you might pay much closer attention to his word. If your habit is to open his word in the midst of so much noise and chaos, if you're Days begin with so much noise and chaos. You may think right now, I'll never drift away, even though I'm not able to give much attention to his word. And I promise you that's exactly what Satan wants. Drifting is slow and unintentional. Admit where you are and ask God to give you the grace to make the necessary practical changes that you might hear his word. There is a second tide or current that keeps us from listening. And some who are in that current might be here today. And you're simply saying, I don't want to hear. I'm really just not interested. And if you can admit that, I really applaud you because at least you know where you are. But if that's what you're admitting, I hope you know what the word of God says about where you're heading. I think it's important for you to know. And if that's something you would ever be interested in discussing with me or one of our pastors, that would be an unbelievable pleasure for us. If not one of us, maybe it's somebody that you came with. Another current... And this, I think, could definitely be present here. And that is, I don't need to hear. I've already heard it. Why do I need to still go to a small group or a Sunday morning community or be in a small group or even come to worship regularly? I've heard it. When Mark says the good news of the gospel so great is salvation, I I know what he's talking about. I've never read or had a conversation with a person that I deeply respected spiritually who was living that kind of life. I've never met a person who's much older than me that said, you know, I kind of got it all about 35. And so I just coasted because I knew it. But that's how we drift. We drift with so many good things, frankly, that keep us from the great. And suddenly, being together in worship or being a part of an accountability group, or being in fellowship with others becomes a, essentially like a, an add-on to the Christian life. You know what the author of Hebrews is going to say in chapter 10, eight chapters from this one? Oh, let us not give up meeting as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. A fourth current is likely that which I've already mentioned, 
But it's simply, I think lots of other people need to hear it. And you, when you hear this, immediately have people come to mind. Family members, neighbors, members of this church. Listen for yourself for a moment. You and I have a listening problem because the world we're in is so noisy. God gave the warning to this little church and he's using that warning through that leader, that pastor, that shepherd to warn us. Pay much closer attention. I don't go sailing very often. I don't get in boats that often. I know what it means to drift. But there's an example in my life that's far more specific and clear. When I was about 14, my older brother, who's five years older than me, was in a horrific car accident because he fell asleep at the wheel. He fell asleep at the wheel only three blocks from our house. Late one night, he drove his pinto into a ditch and nearly died. I remember seeing him in the hospital and he was beyond recognition. It wouldn't be long before I would turn 16 and then when driving at night, my parents would say, be careful. If you're tired, pull over. And then it wouldn't be long before I would have teenagers and I would say, I don't like you driving at night. If you get tired, pull over. And they responded to me the same way I responded to my parents. I'm good. I like driving at night. I'll be drinking coffee the whole time. There's just a sense that that can't happen to me. I was that arrogant once, not only for myself, but for a youth group I was leading. And we were taking a trip from Oklahoma City to the Young Life Camp, then called Silvercliff, that they no longer operate. And we had two vans going, and we were going to leave at night and drive through the night in order to arrive at the right time. I was confident in my ability to stay awake. Plus, new on the market was Jolt Cola and No Dose. Remember that? We'll be fine. One man who had two boys going on the trip begged me to let him pay for a bus. I know you're wealthy but that's a waste of God's money. That's poor stewardship. This group is not big enough for a bus. We're gonna be fine. And we were until 6.30 in the morning when the second driver, his name's Kyle, in my rearview mirror on a two-lane highway in New Mexico, swerved into oncoming traffic. In those days, we didn't have cell phones, but we had CBs, and I start shouting, he swerves to the shoulder of the opposite lane, comes back across, and there's a semi, and I'm not using hyperbole, I promise, coming, smoking its tires, horn blasting, and he gets in our lane safely. Kyle, are you okay? I am now. I was so scared. I was scared of two things. And I'm not sure which I was more scared of, to be honest. One was that the people in that van could have been killed. 
one of which would soon be my wife. And the other is that they would tell that man who promised to buy the bus that that happened. So great was that fear, and I'm embarrassed to even confess this, that I said, don't tell. Anybody tell what happened. Until my soon-to-be wife said, that is wrong. And I did, and I was humbled, but I never did that again. When you're traveling along the Jersey Turnpike, there's three signs, and they're primarily for a person driving late at night. And the reason I know those signs is because I wanted to leave early after speaking at a conference. And I left at about midnight to drive to Philadelphia. And there I see these three signs. They come about a quarter of a mile past each other. And the first one says, stay alert. The second one, about a quarter of a mile later, says, stay awake. The third one, about a quarter of a mile later, says, stay alive. And I remember seeing that going, that will preach. That's really good. I'll remember that one day. And I've used it. I've used it even in here. I bet you forgot because you weren't listening. (laughs) About two miles later, the same signs in the same order. But this was the difference. They were twice as big. Stay alert. Stay awake. Stay alive. The author of this letter is saying to you and to me, we need to pay much closer attention. One of the most dangerous tools the enemy uses of drifting is for us to think, that is not true of me. I'm doing just fine. My friends, let's pray today that we will hear these words and listen. Next Sunday, we're coming right back to Hebrews 2, 1 to 3. And we're going to look backwards at what we're supposed to be paying attention to. So go ahead and read that this week. And ask the Lord to show you what's keeping me from listening. Where am I in danger of drifting? Where am I in danger of falling asleep? Father in heaven, you have given us grace today through this word which was given in grace to wake all of us up and to remind us of how much we need to pay attention, close attention to your word. If there are any today who heard what I said earlier and know that they don't know you, I pray that now they would pray for salvation in the name of Jesus. Simply ask Christ to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to save you, to redeem you, to rescue you. And trust right now as you pray to him in his name alone for salvation. And if today you are 
praying that prayer, or if you want to talk more about that prayer and that relationship with him, please come and see me or one of our pastors or prayer, prayer partners in the corners of the sanctuary. Lord, he says that we should not neglect so great a salvation. I cannot think of a song which declares that great salvation as well as amazing grace. So as we sing this, please let these familiar words not be old but new. And let us sing to your glory for that great salvation. In the name of Jesus, we all pray. Amen.